On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we talk about the change in market sentiment, the new stimmies coming out, and how we reacted to this crazy market downtrend. Let's go. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. by the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, life's this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out here making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome back to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, March the 7th. And this podcast is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga is our favorite place to get news, scanners, alerts. And you can get two weeks free starting right now at pro.benzinga.com. That's pro.benzinga.com. But that's not all they have. If you go to their YouTube channel every day, they do a live stream with tons of great guests such as me and Hugh, the best podcasters, the best porn stars like Mia Khalifa, and so much more. Make sure to tune in. And you will learn a lot. That is youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. And I guess we can just start this one off by saying, I, you know, we're not told you so, guys. But, I mean, I am happy I had a lot of cash on hand. We kind of touched on it Wednesday for like two minutes before the Brady interview. But, Hugh, you are not one to go full cash a lot and as quick. You told me earlier you saved your ass on spy options. What took you down and how did you play spy so well? Uh, yeah, no, I actually didn't play spy that well. I'm looking at my P&L right now and I had two pretty, pretty decent losses uh, on Wednesday and Friday. But one of the things that I like to do and we talked about this was intraday options on spy and Tesla. And when the market is just taking a, taking a tank, you know that... Uh, Tesla is going to go with it, you know, the QQQs, things of that nature. So playing intraday is a way that I can make up some of that swinging down PL. And also it gives me something to do so that I don't go crazy in adding dips. Uh, that could be potential lower dips. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people got caught in that. You bought the dip and it keeps on dipping. The meme speaks for itself. But one thing that I think shocks a lot of people. Spy drops 3%, small caps drop 30%. Buy drops another 1%. There it goes. I mean, EQOS, I, I talk about it a lot. You know, it's one of my favorite Bitcoin sympathy plays. Was down to $10. Thank God it rebounded and closed at like $11.90 on Friday. It's crazy to see some of these things that are, are down so, so much, like 50% from their highs. Like we, we mentioned it last week. In August, it happened over the course of a month and a half. Now it happened over the course of a week. Yeah. And that's what happens is that when you see these huge inclines and these 
escalated levels two, three, four, five X, the you know, they need to come back down to earth. And we talked about BNGO. I didn't like it at 75 cents. It was trading over like 14 at one point, which is just like insane. It, we really should have when when there was not another stock that was underneath the dollar, that's when we should have just really said to ourselves, this is ridiculous. But all in all, I think we're getting really close to where small caps are going to be are, are, are basically now starting to get undervalued. You know, they went up crazy and now some of them are down 50, 60, 70%. And I think that we're going to start to see confirmation that the dip is over and then start to, you know, curl back up. I've, uh, I've actually started to add some CCIV into my cash app account. You know, Whoa. slowly starting to, you know, it hit that 21 mark, 22. And I was like, you know, I was looking for teens, but this looks like a decent ad. You know, I started adding under around 24, you know, a big lucid guy. I've turned, you know, turned the cinema. Hey, listen, I flipped the switch. Yeah. The devil goes to heaven. That's what I'm hearing. CCIV crowd right now is, uh, they're cheering is for del- me. Yeah, they're unsending their mean Instagram. DMs yeah, they're, del- they're deleting all their <laughs> tweets right now. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. But other other than just, you know, small caps taking this beating, I mean, obviously, we'll see some big 10, 15 percent pops uh, due to this like crazy the market sentiment that I, I assume is going to switch. Are you expecting them to get this pop due to like this crazy stimulus news uh, and that they got? What was it Saturday? So yesterday. trillion, I believe. And do you think they're just going to start climbing after that? Or what are you kind of expecting for that situation? I think it's going to be a little bit of what the overall market does, because two things is that what we usually expect when the market goes down is that people flee to small caps. Um, So if the market starts to rally again, then we're not going to see that huge influx of money. And personally, as a small caps long trader, I don't want to see that massive influx of new money. Because what that does is the same thing that we saw a few weeks ago when SPY was getting towards that 400 level. Water falls up and then we're right back to where we started in two, three weeks. And that's not what we want. So in my opinion, I want SPY and small caps to gradually start to climb their back up. I don't want to see these huge 10, 15% moves. We probably will get a gap up like that, but that's not what I want to see more than once. After that, I want them to chill for a little bit, create support, and then start the next move up, You know, kind of like a stair step up. Yeah. Um, are there any sectors that you're kind of expecting that'll go sooner than others? Because I mean, I... I'd, like I just mentioned, Equos as as a Bitcoin sympathy down so much with Bitcoin still, you know, nibbling on that 50k mark, and I feel like a lot of the Bitcoin sympathies are down a good bit. I think the Bitcoin sympathies are going to go hot this week. Um, you know, we saw Bitcoin get smashed over the past few weeks, and now that Bitcoin's really starting to break out, I think that you know, if we get a new all time high on Bitcoin, I mean, that's just going to ignite. Uh, miners and Bitcoin sympathy plays all over again. And I don't think it's a terrible thing to, you know, have a basket, have a few starters on. And then once we see Bitcoin, you know, really starting to break out because over the weekend, we know that Bitcoin's going to be at its highest price. That's seasonality. But if we go into Tuesday or we go into like, you know, Monday afternoon and Bitcoin's just ripping, you know, that could definitely ignite the Bitcoins. Yeah, and before anyone attacks us, if we were wrong about any of the Bitcoin stuff, we do want to have on a one of your 
Bitcoin Kings. We'll take we'll take the Winklecock, the Winklevoss twins. <laughs> we'll take uh, we'll take Pomp. We'll take anyone. We want to get some more Bitcoin knowledge from from someone smarter than us in it. But one thing I was impressed at, you know, you said it got beat down over the past three weeks, but I thought it stayed relatively strong comparatively to how much it had gone up recently. And I imagine a lot of the Bitcoin investors, a lot of the crypto guys are kind of the same as, no hate, just a lot of the other retail investors, you know? So it's like, you think they would kind of sell in these pops and it would it would trickle down a lot more than what it bottomed out at, which was what, like 44K or something? 47K? 45? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, it's interesting because when you look at the Bitcoin miners, you know, like you look at uh, what's the one DPW, I think is really popular. You look at DPW, DPW is trading at seven and I think it's trading at like 320 now or something. You know, yeah, it's trading at 307, got all the way down to 261. You would think that Bitcoin cut in half because this thing was trading 10 days ago at 683. So that's why I think if Bitcoin gets moving, all these Bitcoin plays that are down 50% from their highs could really start to move because we saw, you know, Bitcoin go down 20%. These are down 50%. That's a clear arbitrage misprice. So we could definitely see some great movement. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that was funny is uh, I know a lot of people, their Weeble free stock you get for referring people was XONE, Bitcoin sympathy play, and everyone was getting it. And the way uh, Weeble free stocks works, it takes like three weeks to get them into your account to be able to even sell them. And it was like a $30 stock. We're all getting these just a bunch of $30 stocks because it was right after the GameStop and Robinhood thing. So everyone was switching over. And we got a lot of these XO and E stocks, and then we noticed they were going up and up and up, and they hit $60. The $30 stock two weeks later was $60. But by the time Weeble delivered them to us, they were back at like $42, and now they're 29 again. <laughs> <laughs> like they, I was like, if they could have given it to... They gave them to us the day they dropped 20%. I was like, <laughs> man. Uh, but Even without that, trying to screw you, the broker screws you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. The big guys are always going to win somehow. But um, I guess kind of moving on from Bitcoin uh, would be a good time to have a new topic for us. How about like, like the, the market? Change? Yeah, like the market. Like the, the change market. in market sentiment. Yeah. Because yes. I mean, you mentioned the stimulus check last week. Your little conspiracy theory, it would cause bear market. <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, okay, not a pullback. A pullback. Yeah, there's a big difference between a bear market and a pullback. Poor term. I mean, yeah, bad. Yeah, bad. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, when you see a bear market, uh, so a bull market, it, think about it on, on a trend basis. A uh, bull market is when we're seeing a trend that follows bull side. Um, so, like 2009 until like this week? Yeah, or until I, I today. Mean, still, yeah, still, yeah. We held that bottom trend line to like the tick. Like it's incredible how, how much this market is rigged, but that's a, that's for a different day. But when you're inside a bear market, think about it, the same, the exact opposite. So when it hits like a certain threshold, people consider it like a bear market. I think that's like 25, 30%. Um, because then now you've seen that kind of what we almost saw this week was that if the wedge, 
if the upper wedge was broken to the downside and then the next week we saw a lower low, then people would start to consider that a bear market potentially. But that being said, we did. I did say that I thought that it might be a sell-off. I think that that's gone now. I think that the sell-off that I was kind of thinking that would come with the stimulus checks was this sell-off that we saw this week. You know, when you see, we, we talk about the backside of the trade comes 10 times faster. This is kind of what I mean. I mean, we saw, I mean, I saw Vissel go to 238 on Friday. That's ridiculous. And I think that when you see flushes in the market, and I'm talking, I'm not just talking about small caps. I'm talking about large caps as well. When you see flushes and quickly they're bought up. So low, I mean, high volume selling, and high volume buying, that creates fantastic support. Now, I'm not going to say that we're going to be at 400 next week, but I think that this was the sell-off that I was looking for. Now we're getting back into that zone where there's tons of demand. Um, you know, Near the 400, we had tons of supply, people thinking that the market was over, overbought. Um, now we're getting back into that zone where there's so much demand and people are like, this is a great opportunity to buy. And that's what I think that now the stimulus checks are going to be viewed as, okay, now let's throw this into the market because this is a dip. It was trading at 3 89 or whatever. Now the market's trading significantly less. Um, So this is my dip, if you will. What do you think about the Friday end of day recovery? Because my Lord, money printer go. That was incredible. It's like, um, you know, we talked about Nate, Nate, um, the invisible hand. What? Me show. Yeah. <laughs> the That's invisible hand lifted the market. That that was a really good showing of just how fast things can change. Um, we had people inside our DMs, you know, like, hey man, I was down seven grand at eleven thirty, and by the end of the day, I was up like two grand. Um, so I think that that really just goes to show sometimes it pays not to be at your computer. You know, I mean, that guy would never have known that he was down that much. And and the other thing is that spy on Friday which is what I closely follow, um, had 194% relative volume. And so for it to recover and be almost up 2%, what that said to us was that high volume, like we said, high volume selling was met with high volume buying and people thinking that this was the dip. That final flush at around, what was this? 1130? Uh, yeah, like 12, 1230 uh, Eastern time on Friday. People felt that, okay, enough is enough. This is the time to get into the market. Yes. And small cap, I mean, you saw small caps go up like 15, 20 percent. Like- exactly. Exactly. And so now, now again, you know, you still have to follow your rules about confirmation. So, you know, we saw it come down, we saw support. Now we're seeing it curl back up. Um, you know, I would like to see personally, you know, Monday morning, I would like to see us open a little bit lower and then into the day, I want there to see that buying pressure continue because if that buying pressure is there, if we open up down a little bit and that buying pressure lifts us into the day, I think that that would be really healthy for the market. And I mean, I'm looking at it right now, we closed at 383.63 on SPY. Um, you know, I mean, a break above 387 and we're seeing all time highs. So it's interesting to see how you changed that regarding like what happened, but it, with that being said, uh, regarding this past week and the similarities to the week before, but also the differences. So obviously last week, not this most recent one, but the week before that was the week everyone's like, oh, shit, here it comes. 
And then the week after that, it was like, oh, God, it's still coming. But and I kind of judged it by my Weeble account, because like I'd been mentioning, I, I went like beyond full cash, like 180 percent cash. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. Margin cash, too. Um, <laughs> so I kind of judged things by like my Weeble, which is was still swinging. And I was like adding these dips and it, and it dipped back to the point where it was before the UWMC crazy call pop from it becoming a meme stock somehow. With a rocket mortgage becoming a sympathy to rocket mortgage, and um, it was down to like Friday at noon. It was down to like pre those gains, which were insane. It was like twenty five percent. But then by Friday afternoon, it was back to all time highs. What it was before that, so it was, that recovery was massive. So congrats to dip adders on that. But one thing I saw, I feel I saw a little too much of was people this week saying they lost all of their gains from this year. By this year, I mean year to date, from January to all of February. Yeah. I feel like there is a risk management that needs to be changed somewhere in your strategy if somehow you lost more than 50% of your gains in the past two months. Listen, we talked about it last week, okay? here, here And this is why... We try to keep up to date with everything and keep everything current. I'm looking at SPY right now. SPY Monday morning was at 390 going for 391. Okay. If you had if you had listened to our hedges, there's no way that you should have been read this. Or, or if, if read, there's no way that you should have been down more than 10% of your account. Imagine, imagine if people bought puts. I think it was what last week, last Sunday, a week ago, we talked about puts. If you bought puts on your bigger positions, yeah, they may have been down 20%, but those puts would have had you loaded. That's what I mean. And that's why like, like even though we talked about hedging last week, it's always good to have a hedge on it. it, it you know, risking 10% of your account on a hedge, those hedges would have gone stupid. VIX went to 30 like those hedges w- went nuts. And from a risk management standpoint, um, you know, I saw a tweet earlier, like two or three weeks ago that said, it's crazy that we're inside an industry where 90% of people fail, yet currently 90% of people are 5Xing their accounts. And I was like, whoa. And I think that what this week did was, as sad as it is, it's going to really push out people that just decide the market's not for them. And the market's not for them. Um, you know, the market's not for everyone. The market's not for most people, dare I say. This has, uh, this has changed a lot from episode one, where if you're not doing this, you're a schmuck. Oh, you're still a schmuck if you're not doing this. But if you're <laughs> quitting, uh, you're a schmuck. You're, you're definitely a schmuck. Uh, and if you're not listening to Penny going and Raw, then you're a schmuck, you know? I think I think one thing I'm scared of is if if the market goes to shit is that people will be turned off from investing forever like just because they got burned so bad from it. Be like, "Oh, well, 401k's are stupid, market's overinflated. No thanks." Well, see, that's the thing though is that like traders, the traders that I've talked to, their best years are 2008, huge volatility times. The um and and that's the thing is that, you know, as sad as it is to say, that's when when people are are losing money. That's when traders and other people are really just 
banking, you know, 5xing their accounts. You know, m- most hedge funds that that you know, most prop traders shoot for about a 200% return on their portfolio. And that's not all, but you know, that that's kind of like the the guide guided area. And um, I mean, 2008, they were 5, 10xing their accounts, making more money than they had made inside the last five years. And, and I think that that's you know one of our missions here is that you can trade and work a full time job, and at the very minimum, trading will will teach you to learn that it's not all black and white. My mother wanted to invest in Lysol and Clorox because it made sense, and although those did go up. It's not always like that. It doesn't always make sense. My hair was killing me, bro. I had to put on a hat. These video video interviews, you know, it's it's different. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, we're putting ourselves out here for you. Video will be on YouTube on Monday if this actually records. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, with, with the like market sentiment, you know, we've talked about heading into next week. We've talked about last week. Did you hedge yourself like you said? How did that work for you? Yeah, so I hedged myself with cash and I hedged myself by day trading, you know, the spy options, Tesla options. And so I still ended the week green. I'm looking at the PL, you know, it, it was okay. You know, nothing, nothing to, you know, print out and paste on the wall, but ended the week green, which in a market flush like this uh, is all that I can ask for. Now, I'm going to look to start deploying capital. I have about 50% cash right now. You know, I want to start deploying capital and get to that 70% range. Uh, 70% on the market. Uh, but then if you guys don't know him, Brady from Atlas, he he has a great outlook on the market. And he called this perfectly. He's calling for like another a steeper pullback once we hit like the four or five, four ten area, maybe four twenty. And uh I I would be inclined to agree with that. That we we kind of have different theses to a little bit, but the overall thesis of R2 is the same. And so I, what I what my plan kind of is going to be to deploy capital, get to that 70% range. Um, and then once the market rips back up to like the 410 area, then start to go back to that 50% and start to put the hedges on. So this week going into the market, I won't have any, you know, spy puts, VIX calls. Um, you know, my hedge will be cash. Yeah. So we did mention two or three ways last week to hedge yourself. Mine was definitely cash. Uh, I made the least amount of trades I have ever made in a week of my trading career. There were three days where I only made one or two. And Thursday, I think it was Thursday, was my very first, or not very first, I wish, my third red day of the year. Nice. Sucks, but yeah. But it was one of those things that was like, I didn't even trade that day. I just had a bunch of like long calls that were basically worthless anyways that decided they'd want to go lower too, like everything else. But that was like all there was and nothing I could have done about it. So I I took it on the chin. And then Friday, I thought it was going to be red too until uh, Money Printer. And, you know, when, when that happened, it was, you know, everything turned around because I was, I was down massive on like... yeah swings in my weeble along with uh calls in it and then they all just reverse reverse yeah i'm trying to keep uh you know one of the things i haven't been able to do yet and what i'm trying to keep myself not from doing is my first seven figure red day so you know i thought i thought we were coming close but uh you know thank god spy options baby saved that and and the one thing i do want to talk about that we haven't touched about have you had a portfolio crisis yet or no or, or you're just Buru Dan? No, I I haven't had a red five figure day yet. I I 
I know it's crazy and everyone's like, you know, everyone has one, but I, I mean, my account went from 4,000 to 2,000 before the crash. It just hit 250,000. <laughs> so I mean, like I'm, I'm doing all right, but I haven't had a crash, but like the way I trade and I know a lot of people have been asking me how, and I promise we'll, I'll get to it whenever I can explain it in human English words. I, I do a lot of gut feeling like like with the and the my issue with gut feeling trading is whenever the market's on a downtrend, it doesn't work because I think this is a great price to add. And it's not. And it's and it's not. It's <laughs> it's not at all. It's actually an awful place to add if you look two days later. So that's why I said this market looks shaky. I'm going full ass cash because it, the way I traded just did not align with this. And my biggest thing is I'm going to avoid any portfolio crash. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely understand that. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that have helped me was, um, you know, I, I think I talked about a few times before, but I talked to a friend's father who was a portfolio manager in, inside 2007, 2008, um, kept buying the dip, kept buying the dip until they blew up. Uh, and these were fantastic traders, and that's not what I would ever want to get caught into. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get punched. You know, we talked about, it, but I get punched. I'll get punched inside the face five times. But the name of the game is always to see another day, and and, and that's I I personally have a portfolio crisis about twice a year. Um, and what I what I mean by that is that either the stress, you know, I mean, we don't talk about this a lot, but I don't know about you. But there are some days where I'm like, man, fuck this shit. Fuck this shit. You know, I'm going to go work at Trader Joe's around the block. This shit just sucks. Nothing's working. You know, I'm watching my shit just go down. You know, I took a 600K loss on a, on Sava, uh, you know, things of that nature. You know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to go back to class, you know, you know, get my GPA up and go work for JP Morgan or some shit. Um, and that happens about twice a year. The time I had it, uh, was like all August, September, even when most people started turning around cause SPAC started turning around, I cut it at the wrong time. And it was like that, that is what I consistently reference when I'm like, I cannot allow a downtrend like that to happen. I can't cause that was like my big crash. It was like, I couldn't, I was posting my portfolio every day. I stopped for like two months. Cause I was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this shit. They're going to, they're going to unfollow me. Uh, but no, I mean that shit, like it was crazy then. And a lot of people were handling it a lot better. A lot of people were, handling. but if you were like a SPAC believer at the time and that time I was just, I was, I loved I loved this girl. It was like that was the new Tesla. Henrik, you had a poster and, of Henrik that you kissed goodnight. Yeah, like goodnight, Henrik. <laughs> and uh and, and Natasha on the other side. <clears throat> and um but yeah, like that that's what really screwed me because I thought I was trading it, and you know, whenever it hit 18, I sold a good bit. You know, I was down, you know, I, I was down to just a few of the shares that I had by the time it was 16. I had about damn as many as I had by the first time it was 12. <laughs> so it was like, it was really bad by the time it hit eight. And, uh, you know, I think learning how to avoid buying the dip and it keeps on dipping is 
a big thing, even if it means just going cash. And that's how I felt comfortable. Right yeah. Now. Just because I'm, I'm waiting for the confirmation. I think Friday was a. Friday was a great day because you know what? We saw the comeback in our portfolios. For new traders, that does not always happen. In fact, that's the first time where I was like, whoa. Um, you know, for us to for us to flush on a Friday. On too. a Friday? Um, so for us to flush and then come back to go up two percent, it is incredible. You know, we, we could have ended down a little bit, um, and I would have been like, Whew. but uh for us to end up two percent, so if you're having a portfolio crisis right now, um, because we, I've been there so many times. Um, you know, I, I was someone that DM me. I, I talked about, you know, they were down a good amount of their account, um, and it was because of poor. They knew exactly what they did, had done: poor risk management, not sticking to their strategy, just adding any dip, things of that nature. And they were just having a portfolio crisis. And one of the things that that they had asked was, "How do you kind of deal?" With the um, w- with the doubting yourself, because it, not only is the portfolio crisis monetary, it comes down to the emotional. Um, you know, you don't want to take that big size. You, you, in fact, you don't want to take any size. Um, you know, every every single play that you're about to take, you're rethinking. And and I think that that's something that touched on inside season one, but we hadn't gone into yet inside season two. And I think after this week, it might be good. Yeah. And speaking, I guess I know we're kind of hopping around on this episode. We just literally got, got the mics open and, and started recording. But, um, I think another thing to kind of touch on is, especially when it comes to overselling. I mean, you saw like clove six and I guess, I guess before we get into specs, how about sketchy chamas? Um, selling all of his space, his SP, Virgin Galactic. Um, adventuring all all after all after his little tweet i'm gonna fuck some shit up fyi okay Chimat, just be home by dinner time <laughs> like what is he what is what's his Listen, deal what's it's his funny because i had, had a conversation about that spce was trading what it was trading like 50 percent higher two weeks ago so if he if he knew that he wanted out of SPCE man's fucking up my cash app long term. <laughs> um, you know what? And this is something to think about. So they are a SpaceX company, um, or you know they are a space company. One thing to think about is why is Chamath all the way out? Now I know he tweeted about why he's out and he tried to give reason to it, but something that I do want to say is Chamath. If you are listening and you know that space or SPCE will never get off the ground now that you're out, will you please just let us know? Because eight weeks ago, you were telling us that this is going to be, you know, putting people on fucking Mars. Now you're all the way out, man. You know, you, you left the party early. The party, the, it's like 8 p.m. And you, and you scooted out the back door with all the vodka. Not cool. He got he hopped on the the space parachute before it hop before it burst into flames. <laughs> yeah, so if you are an SPCE believer, you need to ask yourself why is Chamath the biggest fucking cheerleader for a space SPCE? Why is he out? And I think one of the things that came to my mind was that he knows something about the technical technicalities that they fundamentally will never be able to get this thing off the ground. Now. I'm not saying that. 
Okay. Maybe Chamath has to pay child support or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's just something to think about. Are you concerned at all? I know I've seen a little fluttering around because Chamath is on his little, you don't, you don't know what he's going to do next. You know, he could run for president. Well, no, he's from Sri Lanka. <laughs> um, Governor. Do you think, do you think he could, dare I say it, sell his clove shares? Wow. Yeah, that's a loaded question and one that we've received a little bit because there was that rumor floating around. There is no, let me repeat this. There is no filing that says that Chamas sold his clove shares. There's no filing. No filing, no shit, no give a fuck. But do you think he might? I mean, he's, he's listen, going crazy. He's gone wild. He's listen, AWOL. He knows these companies like the back of his hand. So if clove is a bullshit company, I think Chamath would have sold it much higher because he he know he would know that. When we think about it, you know, I know all this insider trading and all this bullshit. No. Chamath would know if Clove is a bullshit company. So I think he would have already sold it. And we 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 said this earlier when the short report came out on Clove. I want to see Chamath buy another hundred million dollars worth of shares. It's at its all-time low. Um, I think he's down 15% on it. Maybe he listened to the podcast and that's why he sold the Virgin Galactic <laughs> shares so he could buy $100 million worth of gold. Yeah, I think he... I mean, fuck, it was at $6. Damn it, he should have bought $100 million If he does... Listen, okay, I, I'm, we're putting this out there, PGIR, putting Chamath on the hot seat. If Chamath does not buy $100 million of clothes, then... We will never, ever look at another Chamath ticker again, unless, you know, it has some serious potential. But, uh, you know, we're putting that out there, putting Chamath on the hot seat. Um, Chamath, put your money where your mouth is. Clove is a fucking steal right here if it's not a bullshit company. So, Chamath, let's go, baby. Put your money where your mouth is, and let's see it. We know you're listening. <laughs> now you're, <laughs> you're listening out there. So, I guess... Moving on to the rest of the SPACs, I mean, that I guess they kind of got wound. I mean, they are like small to mid cap stocks. I mean, especially at this point. Um, <laughs> did you see any any steals that, that you looked like you were like, oh, you know, this may not be bad? I mean, like, there are some that I definitely wish I could have checked out, uh, that I totally forgot about just because like my mindset was not on SPACs. It was kind of scattered. It definitely wasn't completely focused where I would have been like, okay, here's my watch list because everything was red. Everything yeah. set down 20%. Everything looked like a good deal. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I kind of fucked up. Um, Friday or Thursday night, I went to go see some college friends and I was a little, little hungover on Friday morning. So Friday morning, I took like one spy option, dropped like 80 grand and just closed my phone for the rest of the day. Uh, so, you know, I didn't get to see that this was down to 238 until after the fact, but, uh, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a, you know, you gotta have your shopping list and that's why you always have to keep good updated DD, you know, spreadsheets, a shopping list, things of that nature for Friday sell off. I'm kind of being a hypocrite here because, uh, Friday I didn't look at my portfolio until after the market was closed, but I bet that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, yeah, no, it was nice. I was like, whoa, what? I, I was so pissed at myself. I was like, I haven't taken off in like three years. And uh, then all of a sudden, the day that I take off, there's a flush and a rebound. 
the volatility was amazing and I missed it all, whatever. But uh, I think that there's, you know, one is that the SPACs, two things, they're going to go one direction or the other SPACs. Okay. It's either going to become a super hot tickers again, or we're just going to see it kind of slowly grind up. And we're really going to see the difference between the good SPACs and the bad SPACs. And what I mean by that is that the SPACs that have real potential and the bullshit SPACs that, you know, maybe we're just bought the public so they could say they're a public company. I think that SPACs could become hot again. But the question then is going to be, is it going to be post-merger SPACs or pre-merger SPACs like we saw earlier in the year? Mm, that is a good question. I <laughs> I actually have a feeling that it'll be post-merger SPACs just because of how much they've been beating down. Because a lot of the pre-merger SPACs, they get all the hype leading up to it. They, I haven't... They're They're honestly... You know, I, I do need to look at the ones that are pre-merger. I've I've been focusing on the ones that you know everyone knows and used to love, <laughs> and so I don't I don't know a lot of the the new pre ones. I know like FIII, I uh, believe is one. I bet that one's probably down to like nine now. Probably would have been a great buy, but just some things like that. But some of these post-merger ones are down to like fucking five and six dollars. That's that's nuts. And they definitely seem like you just said, if they're not BS, they're, they're oversold. But there, you know, there is a caveat here because, um, you know, a lot of SPACs can get sketchy. We talked about this, I think five or six episodes ago that we feel that most of the SPACs being bought to market right now are legitimate companies. But as you start to see clever money, let's call it, find out about SPACs, we will start to see SPACs that aren't listing for the right reasons. And, and that's something to keep to keep an eye on. If you see, you know, let's say like a shipping company that has one tanker, you know, trying to come become a SPAC and they're pricing it at like $10 billion, don't don't buy it because it's a SPAC. Do some DD on these things. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually noticed a little more, I've been diving in a little more as well. But oh. The sentiment towards SPACs changing, not amongst like FinTwit and everything, but just like I, I was watching this video by this YouTube creator I like named Jake Tran. He usually makes videos on like psychology behind like mob bosses and shit like that and how they become where they're at and shit like that. Are we? But he are made we, one on. Does, or do we have any of those traits? Mob boss? Uh, I think I. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, me and you definitely, we could definitely become one. But when he made, I didn't expect much out of it, but it was called uh, like, why hasn't the stock market crashed? And towards the end, and he even had the full interview linked with it. it was like a dude talking about like why SPACs are like the scummiest thing in Wall Street right now. Well, listen, all right. I know that we're freestyling this, but there was a recent interview where I bought this up to the CEO and the CEO like was like, no, like that pushed it off. Yeah, yeah, that's not true. And I was like, come on, man. Like, come on. There is something to be said about SPACs and the way that SPACs are done they don't go through the same rigorous um, investigation. They, they do go through a similar process, but kind of like what we saw plug for uh, for China Hustle, kind of what we saw during that time era and the reverse mergers in China. You know, it, it's very easy to get around certain regulations. So when we start to see clever money, and when I say clever money, you know, for people watching the video, clever money. Um, people that aren't going to list for the right reasons. This that could potentially dilute the SPAC name and give SPACs kind of like a, give SPACs not a good name or not a good rep. And, that, and that's just something to be mindful of. 
Yeah. I mean, some of them, you, you know, I mean, if you're from like North Carolina, you know, car lots, if you can't get your dick card, you know, hymns, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's just like one of those things, like use, use a little bit of common sense, use your research, don't get China hustled, or maybe there'll be a Hulu documentary in five years from now called getting spacked or some dumb shit dude if they featured us on that oh man i would that would make my year that would make my life so i think the last thing that we have to talk about is and we touched on it before is that you know i kind of have portfolio crisis and and that just comes with the game when you're able to double triple 5x your accounts there's going to be times where your account's going to take a 20% hit and and i think that a lot of a lot of our listeners have felt that inside the past week and one of the things you know, we did a whole episode on psychology, but kind of updating that. And inside this era, we are seeing people uh, in huge gains and we are inside the social media era. So everything's out there. You can't compare yourself to another person because you touched on it, Dan, last week. But if you anyone that compares himself to Zach Morris looks like poor, you know, pond scum, I think you said. Dealing with that when you have a 20% drawdown is really important. Um, you know, if you revenge trade, you're going to blow up. Okay. I'll say that if you revenge trade, you're going to blow up. So it's important that if you're feeling like you need to make that money back, you need to take a step back, even take a week off and completely reset. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do is that when I take a huge loss, I go on a very, very, very long walk. And I just like to think about everything and I like to visualize it inside my head. And then the next day I can come back and it's completely unforgotten. I mean, like, do I think about like, oh shit, like my portfolio would be here if I didn't take this loss? Yeah, of course you're going to think about it, but you can't let it affect you're, you're trading. You know, you got to be systematic with your approach and you always have to be, think of it like a fork in the road. Okay. If, if the stock does this, I do this. If the stock goes this way, I do this. Because if not, you're just going to let your emotions overtake you. And that is what gets people in trouble. And I think that's something that you can't experience on paper trading. You just can't. That's why, you know, I tried to paper trade and I quickly realized that, you know, like anyone can turn a hundred million into like a few billion paper trading because there's no emotion. I could throw it all into something and uh, uh, like an expiring option and just feel no pain. Um, but if you come and do that, you know, you're going to blow up. And, and I think that that's something that we have to stress. Going along with market psychology with those 20% dips after you 400% your account, as long as you had a reasonable strategy doing it, doing what you got to the point and not chasing, note what got you there will continue to work as long as, you know, even through that dip, you know, if your strategy is what got you there and you have a risk management strategy, that's just a bump in the road that you're just going to be able to uh, to overcome as you know as time goes on. Exactly, and one of the bigger things that you have to think about is like, you know, when you think about like a chart, and you see a pullback on a chart, you know, that's your opportunity. Take that, you know, that down inside your account as the opportunity to be humbled. If you've been absolutely destroying it and you're telling your friends how good of a trader you are, and you're posting someone else's gains on your Snapchat. 
And uh, bro, that was like that was like twice. <laughs> that was that was like a year ago. It was twice. I wanted to get my ex back. I don't I don't know how this is relevant to the conversation. Dude, I didn't even At, say it was you. I feel like I didn't say. I, yeah, I I don't know. Is anyone else doing that? <laughs> I, you want to make me feel normal? Is every, everyone? Hey, hey! Now that I'm making a little money, guys, if anyone wants to take my P and L. And send it to your ex-girlfriend. You DM me, I'll send it to you, and, and you get laid on my behalf. Okay. <laughs> but my <laughs> sorry, that was so timely, and I felt like I had to throw that in there. Um timely. <laughs> I think it was uncalled for. No, guys, yeah, seriously, you know, what quick, quick little little side note. Congrats to Dan. Dan has been absolutely killing it. He run, you know, the pod would not be anything without Dan. And he just hit quarter of a fucking million. Quarter of Bitch. a million. You know, that's got to feel so good to say. Um, yeah, in Alabama, it's it's crazy. They're like, it, they don't know. They're like, quarter of a million what, Dan? Pesos? And, <laughs> no, like, like, wow, that's a whole lot of acres of land. <laughs> But, you know, with market psychology, with great times come bad times. It always does. Bad times come better ones. So you take that, put it in the shirt. Yeah. And uh, wait, I got to, now that we're on the topic of Dan being a quarter of a miliano, um, you know, we we call that a branch. You know, you're you're almost to the stick. That's a branch. Yeah. you know, how, how does that feel? Because I think, I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, you started with three grand only 16 months ago. Uh, yeah, I started with four grand in October and by March it was, yeah, I'll get into this story since I tweeted about it. A lot of people want. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. So I I started with 4k, uh, in like October of 2019, basically because I, I saw how much money I lost on a $60 Bitcoin investment. And I actually started investing through Cash App. And I realized how difficult it was day trading on Cash App with my three share, with my three day trades. And not only just my three day trades, but my, uh, you only had a list of like 40 stocks at the time. So I realized that wasn't my best idea. I took, did what everyone else did. And I, you know, found buy, sell shorts, Discord <laughs> and stock twits. And initially what I did was I, did what everyone else did and lost money during the market crash. And uh, I was down to like 2K. I still had my job. And I was like, this isn't for me. I took out like $1,500 and was like, I'm going to just play with this 500 and see how it goes. But this shit is not cool. Literally like the next week, I got fired from my job for, I think, asking for health benefits. Um, Can we sue them? Can we sue them? Uh, now I was thinking about just buying, like whenever I get the money, just buying the company, but it, I don't think it generates any revenue. Like what That's they right. did, what they do is they send out the teaching and shit that car dealers use, car salesmen <laughs> use. Someone, someone's got to do it. After that, you know, I, I basically was just playing all these BSS swings after like, oh, after I got fired, I put the money back in the market. Cause I was like, well, I don't want to update my indeed resume. And um, with that 2000, I was just in buy, sell, shorts, chat room. And he called so much shit that like I just eventually had like 40 stocks or 25 stocks with 
$2,500 or whatever I had. But at that time, I realized everything was getting a PR. Everything was COVID related and everything COVID related PR would make it run 100 to plus percent. And if they had an offering, it would drop at 20%. Math checked out for me. I was going to be in all of them. Um, and that actually worked to a point where my, I got to my account to around like twelve dollars to $15,000 in like a short amount of time, like two months, just because of like the COVID craze. And then I learned something, a strategy for me that worked. I learned my first personality of a stock. It was Mark, M-A-R-K. He used to trade from 30 cents to 40 cents every single day off of a tweet from their company, Remark Holdings. Uh, yeah, that is a little bit cheating and learning the personality if they're tweeting every day, but it would even get bought up for people expecting a tweet. It wasn't buy, buy the rumor, sell the news. It was buy nothing, sell the thought of the tweet almost. And that, that's how I learned my scalping method was just doing that 10% over and over again. And my biggest lesson I learned from that was the day it went past 44 cents, because I usually was about half out or like three fourths out by 40 cents, hit 44. I knew it was going to be back at 36 the next day. I sold the rest. It was at a dollar like the next week. And I had to accept the fact that I couldn't be pissed off because I had made a good bit of gains from that. So over the course of like my five, my five to 25K was remarkably easy. I was green every day of, I think it was May was the month that I got it. I went from 5K to 25K in one month off of just like COVID crazed market. And then once I got to PDT, you know, everyone's always like, oh, if I was at PDT, it'd be so easy. This stock does this and this every day. Well, if that's so fucking easy, get a credit card, max it out and do it yourself. Do not do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, But I was essentially doing what everyone that wants PDT to do. I was already doing that below that because I had a cash account. I had a cash account that was under 25K. It was a cash account until the day I got 25K. Then I went to margin. With margin. And then I, I didn't really have like a pullback until I hit around... 35 or 40k but i never even teased back to 25 i was never worried about breaking the pdt and everything's all sunshine and rainbows until i hit even even at so i hit 50k excited everything's good it was on the stock htgm's pr in after hours funny enough i go screenshot my 50,000 in my account by the time I posted it and went back, the stock had gone down. My account's back at 48000 So yeah, make sure to sell before you post the screenshot of your gains. More of that story. Everything's good and my 50K is going great and I get the biggest break ever. And it this probably saved my trading career. I was still in a bunch of stocks, just a bunch of random swing stocks. There was one called PRPO. Uh, I was in around 140. I think it hit around 160. I was trying to sell this stock at 160. I had 2,500 shares. Wouldn't let me sell, so I searched on Twitter. It, this stock was halted up, and I was trying to sell it at the time. I had no clue it was halted up because I had so many fucking shares of random stock. And this thing was halted for three hours. Whenever it unhalted, it was at $7, and it was my first five-figure day. I made $12,000 off of it. I remember this. I sold this. it all on that thing. Yeah. I was so excited. That was July 30th, I believe. 
if I didn't have that $12,000 buffer going into August and September, I probably would have tethered with that 25K. And then that's when I would have been like, fuck, dude. Because I did have those days where I was working because I had like two weeks straight where I was only read one day because SPAC was. And those two months, my account went down to like 55K from I hit I hit 65 before I hit 50. Like, and then I went back to 50 and, um, I never even saw like the 50,000 money. It went from like 50 to 60, then way back down just cause like that those two months were so bad. And I just told myself I was never going to get in one of those downtrends again because, uh, I knew there were so many days I said, I should just sell. No, fuck it. It's going to go back up. It's got to go back up. How much lower could it go? But it just kept going lower. And then by the end of the week, I was like, damn, I was right on Monday. And it was like $5,000, $6,000 a week, like 10%, 15% of my account a week. I'm like, damn, I could have seven grand to buy whatever I want if I just listened to myself on Monday and just took the money out and was like, hey, you know, we're going to wait until this looks better. But I didn't. And ever since like December, you know, it, it turned around before then. But I think December, I turned on the high gears. And I have quadrupled my account since uh, I think it's November, uh, whenever it was at 60K in like November. So, you know, it, just playing the hot hand these past few months. And that's why I said, like, what was working better for me is just daggering these plays, being full cash, and especially with the shaky market. And I got out at the right time. I'm going to say it definitely had a lot to do with luck. I didn't have a crystal ball, notice the market was going to be shaky and go, hey, I'm going. 80% cash now. I told you all that two weeks ago because like I, I mentioned it, I did it because that was the strategy that was working for me at the time. And it just happened to be the week before the market just went to shit for small caps. So that is my story. Woo! I am the king of Alabama. Well, Nick, Nick Saban's the king. Uh, I am the prince. The prince. I will inherit, I will inherit it and Auburn will become the football st- School of the state, and everything will be great. That is, that is uh, an awesome journey. That's my story. Thank you. Thank you. That's me. That is so awesome. All right, baby. All right, guys. That's it for this week's Pennies Going In Raw. If you guys love this episode and love our content, please give us those five stars. Those five stars are the only thing that we ask. We put a lot of time and effort into this. Please, please, please give us that five stars. And... We will see you Wednesday.